Neurological and cognitive disorders, as well as mental illness, have long been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and feared. Throughout the years, the American Psychiatric Association has discovered and sometimes removed clinical diagnoses that end up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Each week, my co-host and I will bring you a new disorder and provide you with all the information you need to better understand how the human brain works. This is Psyche Saturday. Blackbirds. Welcome to another installment of Psyche Saturday. Today's Psyche Saturday is going to be slightly different. It's kind of a combination between Psyche Saturday and a mini-sode. I do not have Dan here with me and today's episode is not essentially going to be scripted. Um, I've been kind of under the weather this week, so I haven't been able to get around to writing scripts for this weekend, but um, I do want to still be able to bring you uh, the episodes that we promised we were going to bring you this weekend. So here I am, Sarah, your host, alone (laughs) today doing um, a Psyche Saturday. So today's Psyche Saturday is in honor of National Eating Disorders Awareness Week which is from February 22nd to the 28th. And today is the 27th. So what better time than now to do a Psyche Saturday that revolves around eating disorders. Now, there are quite a few within the DSM, but we're going to mainly speak about anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. But I do want to let you know that there are others, including pica, uh, rumination disorder, as well as avoidant or restrictive food intake disorder. So really quickly, pica is the persistent eating of non-nutritive, non-food substances over a period of at least one month. And according to the DSM, the prevalence of pica is actually unclear. However, among individuals with intellectual disability, the prevalence of pica appears to increase with the severity of the condition. So unfortunately, it is seen to be more prevalent the more severe the intellectual disability is. Then we have rumination disorder, which is the repeated regurgitation of food over a period of at least one month. Regurgitated food may be rechewed, re-swallowed, or spit out. And just as we saw in pica, the prevalence of rumination disorder is unclear also and may also be higher in particular groups, such as individuals with intellectual disability. And there's also avoidant or restrictive food intake disorder, 
which is an eating or feeding disorder as manifested by persistent failure to meet appropriate nutritional and or energy needs associated with one or more of the following. One, significant weight loss. Two, significant nutritional deficiency. Three, dependence on enteral feeding or oral nutritional uh, supplements. And four, marked interference with psychosocial functioning. All right, so now we're going to get into the eating disorders that have much higher prevalence and the ones that I think people most hear about when it comes to eating disorders. And um, I'm hoping that by reading a little bit more about them and their diagnostic criteria, that everybody who's listening um, maybe understands a little bit more about what these diseases truly are. And um, hopefully if you if you unfortunately know somebody who has one of these or or you yourself has one of these disorders, you can better understand what it is and uh, hopefully be able to get help um, in a better way for yourself. So first up, we have anorexia nervosa. So the diagnostic criteria for anorexia is, A, restriction of energy intake relative to requirements, leading to a significantly low body weight in the context of age, sex, developmental trajectory, and physical health. Significantly low weight is defined as a weight that is less than minimally normal, or for children and adolescents, less than that minimally expected. B, Intense fear of gaining weight or of becoming fat or persistent behavior that interferes with weight gain, even though at a significantly low weight. And I think B is the key here for this particular disorder. And C, disturbance in the way in which one's body weight or shape is experienced, undue influence of body weight or shape on self-evaluation, or persistent lack of recognition of the seriousness of the current low body weight. There are subtypes that go along with this. Um, Most individuals with the binge eating or purging type of anorexia who binge eat also purge through self-induced vomiting or the misuse of laxatives, diuretics, or enemas, And some individuals with the subtype of anorexia nervosa do not binge eat, but do regularly purge after the consumption of small amounts of food. So that is one subtype, binge eating and purging. And the other subtype is restricting type, which um, is similar in the sense to restrictive food intake disorder. And so according to the DSM-5, the 12-month prevalence of anorexia nervosa among young females is approximately 0.4%. And of course, less is known about the prevalence among males, but it is seen that it is much more prevalent within the female population than it is within the male population. And the DSM shows that there is actually a 10 to 1 female to male ratio when it comes to anorexia nervosa. 
So what are some risk factors for somebody who could potentially develop anorexia nervosa? So individuals who develop anxiety disorders or display obsessional traits in childhood are at increased risk of developing anorexia nervosa. Anorexia is seen a lot of times as a way to control one's life. A lot of times we will see it within a population of people who maybe don't feel like they are in control of things in their lives or they do have anxiety over certain things or they keep obsessing over certain things. So they find this to be a way that they can control their lives. And this kind of goes along with any eating disorder um, within the DSM. It's a control thing. Um, They maybe feel out of control in other areas of their lives, so they can control their food intake. They can control how much they eat. They can control what happens after they eat. Um, So that's really a huge, huge reason and risk factor for developing this type of disorder. Also, there's an increased risk of anorexia and bulimia, which we'll get into next, amongst first-degree biological relatives of individuals with the disorder. An increased risk of bipolar and depressive disorders has also been found among first-degree relatives of individuals with anorexia nervosa, particularly relatives of individuals with the binge eating or purging type. So while a lot of these mental disorders that we speak about are extremely difficult to diagnose because there's really no um, medical test that can show us that somebody has a particular disorder. In anorexia and other eating disorders, um, blood work can actually show if somebody is undernourished or does not have the proper nutrition that they need for their age and and body size and sex and all of that. Um, So there are actually diagnostic markers that go along with anorexia, and they include um, uh, hematology, serum chemistry, the endocrine system, electrocardiography, bone mass, electroencephalography, resting energy expenditure, as well as specific physical signs and symptoms. So it's, I don't want to say easy to see, because sometimes it isn't. Um, Sometimes somebody with anorexia is not actually underweight um, and does not appear to look anorexic. So we have to be very careful when we say somebody looks anorexic or does not look anorexic. You can't specifically tell all the time if somebody is indeed unhealthy or at an unhealthy body weight or nutrition value just by looking at them. And, you know, that goes along with the the whole thin shaming. Um, Just because somebody is thin, don't automatically assume it means that they don't eat. Um, or that they're binging and purging, or any of that type of thing. They may very well eat exactly how they should, and they may be very healthy. They may be one of the healthiest people you will ever meet in your life. 
but they just don't put weight on because they have a very fast metabolism or they work out or whatever it is. So don't automatically assume just by looking at somebody that you can tell that they do or do not have an eating disorder. Somebody who is looking as if they are of a healthy weight could also be anorexic. So again, you know, just as Dan says, every single episode, don't judge a brain by its body. You have no idea what's actually going on inside that person's psyche just by looking at their physical features. Anorexia is much more of a mental state, as, and that's why it's a mental disorder, than it is of a physical state. So it really needs to be taken by case by case, and it needs to be discussed in a very um, subtle way. And if you do some, see somebody that you think maybe is sick, don't just say eat a cheeseburger or something like that. That's a very insensitive way to go about attempting to help somebody. It means that you don't really want to help them. You're just trying to be a troll. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're, we're not medical doctors here. You know, if we see a picture of somebody on the internet, we have no idea what's actually happening in that picture. So, um, you know, don't, don't attack somebody like that because that's exactly what that is. That's attacking somebody. And if they do potentially have an eating disorder, you are now feeding into that by saying eat a cheeseburger. So it's, it's incredibly insensitive and um, it's something that really needs to be stopped. And, and people need to think more before they say or type something especially to a complete stranger on the internet. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move into bulimia nervosa. And so according to the DSM, the diagnostic criteria is A, recurrent episodes of binge eating. An episode of binge eating is characterized by both of the following. One, eating in a discrete period of time. And two, a sense of lack of control over eating during the episode. B, recurrent inappropriate compensatory behaviors in order to prevent weight gain, such as self-induced vomiting, misuse of laxatives, diuretics, or other medications, fasting, or excessive exercise. C, the binge eating and inappropriate compensatory behaviors both occur on average at least once a week for three months. D, self-evaluation is unduly influenced by body shape and weight. And E, this, the disturbance does not occur exclusively during episodes of anorexia. So anorexia is essentially restrict, food restriction. There are obviously the subtypes, but it's more of being about losing weight. Whereas bulimia is eating and, and potentially purging 
in order to not put on weight. So somebody with bulimia could be underweight or they could be overweight. Um, Again, it's one of those things where you cannot tell exactly by looking at somebody if they have a particular eating disorder. It just can't happen. And while somebody with anorexia doesn't necessarily want to lose weight, um, they're more likely to lose weight than somebody with bulimia. Um, it's, It's all about controlling how you consume food or consuming food at all if you don't consume food um, in order to maintain a particular body type or or look or weight or to not gain weight. So it's a really warped view of of yourself, of how you look. And again, it's a really easy way to control an aspect of your life when you start to feel like something is completely out of control in other areas. So the 12-month prevalence of bulimia nervosa among young females is 1% to 1.5%. So it's actually much higher in bulimia than it is in anorexia among young women. Point prevalence is highest among young adults since the disorder peaks in older adolescence and young adulthood. Less is known about the point prevalence of bulimia nervosa in males, just like with anorexia, but bulimia nervosa is far less common in males than it is in females, and there is again a 10 to 1 female to male ratio with bulimia. So what are some risk factors of potentially having bulimia. Weight concerns, low self-esteem, depressive symptoms, social anxiety disorder, and over-anxious disorder of childhood are associated with increased risk for the development of bulimia nervosa. Also, childhood obesity and early pubertal maturation increase the risk. Familial transmission of bulimia nervosa may be present as well as genetic vulnerabilities for the disorder. So these two disorders are the most prevalent of of the eating disorders and they're incredibly significant because it really is just a, a true disorder of the mind, which is exactly what these are co- what's covered in the DSM. Somebody may be seeing something about themselves that's completely untrue, but it's just their psyche is is telling them that it is. And it's devastating because it can lead to certain death if they continue down a road of not getting the proper nutrition that they need. And then lastly, we have binge eating disorder. I'm just going to quickly go over the diagnostic criteria, but then I want to get into some more statistics surrounding eating disorders because, again, this is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So I want to really bring attention to how significant these, these disorders are. So binge eating disorder 
A, recurrent episodes of binge eating. An episode of binge eating is characterized by both of the following. Eating in a discrete period of time, an amount of food that is definitely larger than what most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. A sense of, two, a sense of lack of control over eating during the episode. B, the binge eating episodes are associated with three or more of the following. One, eating much more rapidly than normal. Two, eating until feeling uncomfortably full. Three, eating large amounts of food when not feeling physically hungry. Four, eating alone because of feeling embarrassed by how much one is eating. Or five, feeling disgusted with oneself, depressed, or very guilty after eating. C, marked distress regarding binge eating is present. D, the binge eating occurs on average at least once a week for three months. And E, the binge eating is not associated with the recurrent use of inappropriate compensatory behavior as in bulimia nervosa or does not occur exclusively during the course of bulimia nervosa or anorexia nervosa. And the 12-month prevalence of binge eating disorder among U.S. adults with females and males, we see 1.6% in females and 0.8% in males. So we actually have a prevalence in males with binge eating disorder. So do not think that these only occur in female populations. They occur with men as well. There are plenty of men out there who need to feel this control over something in their lives. They potentially have an anxiety disorder or, or something like that, or maybe they have body dysmorphic disorder and they really feel as though they need to figure out a way to restrict themselves in the way that they eat or binge when they are eating in order to not gain weight or to potentially lose weight. So the statistics that I'm about to tell everybody out there come from the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, which is ANAD. And you can go to their website at anad.org. But of course, I will put this all in the show notes. Eating disorders affect at least 9% of the population worldwide. And 9% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. And that's about 28.8 million people in the United States. Less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as, quote, underweight. So that actually goes back to what I was mentioning before. You can have an eating disorder and still appear to be of a proper weight for your age and, and sex and body size, uh, height, you know, all that stuff. BMI is in, in good range. It doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be underweight if you have an eating disorder. So again, you can't tell that somebody has an eating disorder just by looking at them. This one is huge that I'm about to say, and I don't think a lot of people realize this statistic. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses. 
second only to opioid overdose. Second. They are the second deadliest mental disorders. 10,200 deaths each year are the direct result of an eating disorder. And that equates to one death every 52 minutes. About 26% of people with eating disorders attempt suicide. And if we want to figure out what a potential public health crisis this is, the economic cost of eating disorders is $64.7 billion every year. This really is a public health crisis. And people with eating disorders really need to be helped and be supported and seek help. So if you know somebody who has an eating disorder, try to talk to them. Um, but don't be judgmental about it. You know, you have to be supportive and let just let them know that you care about them and that you're there to listen and to figure out maybe what the root of it is. Because it isn't always just a weight issue. There could be other underlying reasons for the eating disorder. If you yourself have an eating disorder or you know somebody who does and you just want to talk to somebody who can help you support your loved one, you can call the National Eating Disorder Hotline at 1-800-931-2237. They are available Monday through Thursday from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as Friday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. You can text them at that same number, 1-800-931-2237, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern, or you can go to their website at www.nationaleatingdisorders.org and chat with them Monday through Thursday, 9 to 9 Eastern, and Friday, 9 to 5 Eastern. And of course, again, I will put this in the show notes. And for immediate crisis situations in eating disorders, you can always text the crisis text line with NEDA, and that would be to 741741, and a trained volunteer will chat with you. And just one more thing really quickly before I go, I just want to reiterate what the main difference is between anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa from hopkinsmedicine.org because they are two very different disorders, but they are both incredibly significant. So the main difference is that anorexia is a syndrome of self-starvation involving significant weight loss of 15% or more of ideal body weight. While those with bulimia are usually at or above normal body weight. And bulimia is characterized by a cycle of dieting, binge eating, and compensatory purging behavior in order to prevent weight gain. And that can, again, include vomiting, diuretics, or laxative use or abuse. 
And when the underweight individual with anorexia engages in binging and purging, the diagnosis of anorexia supersedes that of binging and purging type. Excessive uh, exercise aimed at weight loss or at preventing weight gain is common in both anorexia and bulimia. So it doesn't always have to be about food. It's about weight. It's about control. It's about anxiety. It's about so many other things. So getting to the root of why the person is doing the things that they're doing and why they have this disorder is incredibly important in order to end this disorder and create a healthier lifestyle for that person. So again, every resource that I used, every reference that I used in this episode is going to be put in the show notes. I hope that you learned a little bit more about eating disorders and I hope that if you are somebody who has an eating disorder or you know somebody who does, you try to get the help necessary to become a healthier individual. I hope you enjoyed this one and uh, will be heard by you soon. And as Dan would say, if he were here, don't judge a brain by its body. <laughs>